when you take the time to notice, ask questions, and pay attention to people's stories. We see them in entirely new ways. On this podcast, we reveal passions beyond our four walls through personal storytelling. Welcome to People Are Everything. thanks for joining me, Michelle. I'm excited to talk to you about Home First. Um, I guess just to get it going, could you explain to all of us what Home First is? Home First is an affordable housing nonprofit that I, my husband, and several others co-founded over a decade ago. And I I can probably start at the beginning for like how that happened because I have nothing to do with that sector of like social services, but, and neither did most of the people in that group. We were, you know, we became really informed and then couldn't not do anything about it. So, um, my kind of concern with homelessness started when I was volunteering. I volunteered with a group at a homeless shelter that is no longer open downtown, but, we went to serve dinner. Um, you know, I signed up at one of the things you sign up at that has like way more people sign up than needed. Um, so there was like 15 of us trying to do the job of what was needed for four people. (laughs) So we were like serving dinner to, um, the homeless population downtown, which it was a very eye opening experience, just kind of being in the midst of that. And Danny, you know, me, like I'm, I was like looking for the need, you know, like how can, how can I make a, an impact? Like, because I was not feeling like I was making any difference in this like big group of people. So I, I had asked a question of the cook in the back, like, when does no one come to volunteer? When do you need, when do you really need volunteers? Cause everybody comes for dinner. Like all the church groups come for dinner. And so he was like, no one ever comes to serve breakfast. So I started going once a week to serve breakfast on Thursday mornings and started to get really close to the to the staff who also several of them were experiencing homelessness. So as I was doing that volunteer work, um, I just I just became more and more aware of it. And Then at the same time, through my church, there was this discussion series that the pastor was putting on about different aspects that people that live in poverty deal with. Like, so food insecurity, housing insecurity, um, health, like all kinds. We like picked a topic every week. I think it lasted six weeks or so. And it was just like horrifying um, thinking that like a huge portion of the population in our city deals with this. So um, after that discussion series, there were actually two nonprofits that were born out of that. Um, One of them was Home First. Another one was an employment, um, like a a bakery that employs people experiencing homelessness. Yeah, and it was really interesting because a lot of, there were a lot of synergies between the two because oftentimes if Bridge Bread would hire someone, we would house them. So in the early days, it was like, what's the biggest problem? It's how, you know, housing and employment were like 
one of the biggest things that we were recognizing because at the at the at the homeless drop-in center it was mostly people it was mostly single men like it wasn't a lot of like it was like all of the people who were falling through the cracks and so we basically so let's see it was 2011 it was november of 2011 is when we started meeting as a group we pulled in other people too so there was like two or three people from that discussion series and then like i pulled my husband in we pulled people from the homeless drop-in center so it was called the bridge i'll just start calling it the bridge um so we were like we pulled in an occupational therapist and a um social service worker uh from there and they were a part of the board as well that we started basically just started talking to everyone in St. Louis that was doing sim similar or like related things. So helping people who were experiencing homelessness. Everyone was excited to talk to us because it was like, you, you kind of want to make sure you're not doing something that somebody's already doing. Um, like we're talking about starting something, but if it's already there and we just don't know about it, we wanted to make sure we could just like lift something up with, with ourselves if it was already there and what we learned was because that really what we wanted to do was try to help the people that were in that dining room because it was like something's missing if i keep seeing the same people like every week and i did that for probably two years or more every week um and what we found was is that most other agencies that were providing housing were for niche groups of people so you had to have a diagnosed mental illness or you had to be a woman with children under a certain age. Like you had, if you were just a single guy or, and, and we've learned over the years, like single women as well. Um, there's just not a lot of like services for them or, or funding to kind of help them get through. So that was really, um, it was really eye-opening because most other, yeah, the, like, and the funding isn't there. So other nonprofits, we learned a lot about nonprofits as well. None of us work in the nonprofit sector, but we learned a lot. We worked with the SLU Law Clinic also to get our 501c3, which was a really cool experience. So how long, I guess, taking kind of a, a step back versus just getting in the room with a group of people that are passionate about it and want to make a difference and make a change. So that's really step one. And then your discovery, right? You're you're yeah. talking to other people. Yeah. What did that step look like as far as time? Because people want to make an impact, but there's an investment there of, of time, and and it takes time to do it right. How how long did that kind of first step take? We started meeting every week. We met on Wednesdays, and sometimes it would be for two hours, sometimes it would be for three hours. But it was like every week we would kind of have a new. I mean, and there were you know, probably four to six weeks, the, you know, the student from the law clinic would come and we would work through what are we, you know, like, who are we, what are our bylaws, all of, all of the legal stuff. But like, I would say, I like that you use the word discovery because that really was what we were doing for probably the first four months or so was just like connecting with other people and having them come to talk to us. Um, just learning as much as we could. And then once we figured out, okay, no one's doing what we're talking about, we need to, you know, we need to do our own thing, collaborate with others for sure, but 
you know, we knew that it was going to be an organization that had to raise funds in a different way than other nonprofits were. Most likely our money wasn't going to be coming from the government because there, again, there weren't like funds allocated at least at the time for just like the guy who should like be able to pick himself up no matter what happened. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I see that as almost the step two, right? You had the legal, like becoming an actual organization. So you said you brought in someone from SLU Law, like a student, it sounds like. That's pretty intimidating process. Like you don't even know who to call. Like how, like who made that call? Who, how did you even know who to bring into the, to the table yeah. to get to that next step to even become an organization? Yeah, that's a good question. We had we had a really diverse group of people. And when I like that is definitely one of the groups where like there was so much tension and so many like random skill sets or personalities that I think that was kind of key to to some of it. Like like there were people that were so tenacious and would would never be told no. And I think I was I was just naive (laughs) I think like it was so much simpler then. I think about when, like before we started doing the work, the real work, it was like your all of our hearts were in the right place, but we didn't know what we were doing yet. But we knew we couldn't do nothing. I think we were all in we were all in the same headspace in that way. But we had a we had a couple people who you know they just knew other networks and knew they were in different industries than I was or my husband was. Like my husband's a a commercial lender so like when it came to purchasing our first property he knew exactly what we needed to do you know so we we all just sort of like pieced together our own skill sets and I don't know I mean I've become a stronger person in a lot of ways just through the many different interactions or challenges that have come along with the whole thing you, so you started this over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. What would you say you know now that you didn't know 10 years ago? Because obviously there's been more awareness. There's more knowledge. There's You just have more information now. And I'm sure while your passion at the core is still there, what maybe has changed with your involvement? I know we can get into that too. There's been some um, uh, with Mission St. Louis. Uh, we, we can get into that too. But for you personally, like, what do you know now that you you didn't know 10 years ago through that growth? When we were at the beginning stages, we knew we wanted to help people that, like, were falling through the cracks, but that wasn't focused enough. Like, that was what we learned over the years is that, like, we have a specific um, target resident that we can be the most effective at helping. We were an all-volunteer organization for 10, 11 years. Um, and so there's only so much that you can do. All, I mean, we did a lot. But, like, when everybody else – when everybody has day jobs, like, there's only so much that you can do. Um, you know, we didn't have, like, a full-time um, drug – someone who specialized in drug rehab or, like, you know – a psychiatrist, like all of these services that maybe we could connect someone to it if they had, um, you know, if if we were interviewing, if we had an apartment opening up and we would start interviewing people for it, we 
our, our hearts won out almost every time. Um, and sometimes that got us into trouble because we weren't, we weren't, I think the heart is really, really important and it's something that needs to be maintained, but understanding different populations and the challenges that come along with those is something we know much better now. I remember in some, in a, in an early meeting, the social worker that was on our, in our group, as we were planning, she, she made a statement. And again, none of us knew what we were talking about. And she made a statement like we, we need to drug test before we bring anybody in to make sure that they are not, you know, on drugs, you know, and, and not necessarily to say like, you know, if someone has marijuana on their system, you're not going to house them. Like, that's not what she was talking about. I think there's just, there's underlying issues that we would not be able to um, serve. And when she said that, I remember a, one of the guys in our group was like, I don't know what we're doing here then. You know, like, it was like, if we can't, and, and now it's funny because like, I remember like five years into it, that same person being like, did we drug test yet? So some of the challenges you mentioned with with having just the resources, right? Is that kind of fast forwarding now to more in the last couple of years? Is that what brought you to an organization like Mission St. Louis? Maybe talk a little bit of how that partnership happened and and kind of what brought you to that because it's on a, a larger scale now. I feel like it's you're more visible and and the awareness is is can have a further reach. So maybe talk through that a little bit. Sure. Well, over the, over the course of the first 10 years, we purchased two properties. So we had eight apartments just over time. We like bought property, rehabbed property, most, a lot of volunteer labor, a lot of sweat equity. Um, and we like, we learned lessons with every resident that came through the door. Um, and I think we just came to a realization, like if we wanted to scale in any meaningful way, we were going to need to, um, we were likely going to need to just merge with someone and we wouldn't just merge with anyone. It needed to be an organization that had a similar philosophy and were working with a similar population of people and mission St. Louis. It is so like, it was so crazy having some of the early conversations with them. Cause it was like the same things would come out of our mouths. Like this, we're helping the, the same group of people who just like, you know, they don't fit in to all of these like, you know, um, niche needs. I think that, that, that most of the population thinks are deserving of, um, you know, the hand up. <laughs> and so they, I don't know, it was like, we were just, our missions were almost the same, you know, they were dealing with employment and like job training and job connections and all of that. They had always wanted to get into housing, but housing is one of the hardest, one of the hardest things that you can do. It's super messy. Like it's very, um, relation, like success is based on the relationships that you form with the residents. And that's exactly how they operate there. Like anyone who comes through that door, they, they form relationships. Like the C the, the CEO of Mission St. Louis Josh, he, I mean, like it started out of his hat, like he, he lived 
in an area and you know an undesirable area of the city and like him and his wife just like were of that neighborhood and they they made a lot of mistakes too but they were sort of just immersed um in the work that they wanted to do and i do feel like that was that was really what we did in the beginning as well like we i mean it's ross and i my husband were always over at the property doing something whether it was just you know we we would pair we would pair residents up with what we called advocates and in the beginning we thought well that's going to be like a professional um well that didn't actually work like people kind of saw through like what are you asking you know they or they were almost kind of skeptical like why are you asking me how i'm doing you know um so we started to do that with volunteers most of the people that were on the board were doing things like that so my husband was an advocate for many many years can you explain a little bit more what that role looked like like or define advocate for home first specifically so our apartments or our, our buildings each had four apartments and so we wanted to make sure that people had connectivity they didn't just like we didn't just say okay here's the keys bye um good luck they i mean while yes there was a little bit more focus over the years for who who we brought in and what kinds of challenges we might be able to help with um there were still challenges like big challenges a lot of people who came through um would have felonies on their record for miscellaneous things um would have warrants out for their arrest because they didn't pay a traffic ticket like lots of just really dumb stuff and um one of our uh one of our board members brian rendazzo said i feel like i could take the bar now after being an advocate because he worked through so many legal issues with with eli the resident that he was with for a long time um so like it's somebody who's just like along the journey with them so it's someone who and a lot you know a lot of the people that were on the board were in a professional career of some sort and knew the art of networking knew like a lot of people who maybe weren't you know in the social services realm but like we could we could get a hold of our friend who's an attorney at a major law firm and be like hey what do you think about this eli would have never had access to somebody like that so we also just started to like use our own networks and and that was something else that i learned is like at the in the early stages it was like we have to raise a lot of money to do this stuff um so that was why we really got the 501c3 done quickly because you can't raise money without that um effectively at least and i think what we learned over time or definitely what i learned over time is that people love the opportunity if you just put it in front of them like if they feel connected to you and to what you're telling them you're doing it was so easy to raise money to do what's really inspiring to me and like with every little tidbit that you've shared it's all comes back to a relationship or a connection or kind of really making that bond either was with your team probably you know around a table somewhere just talking about the conception of this idea or you're in a room with Mission St. Louis it was all about making that common connection and with your residents um I know there there's obviously a lot of challenges along the way but is there any like just 
great stories or memories. Like you probably have, you know, several tenants, like tell us maybe just one of like some of the best stories. I know you've got so many great relationships now with tenants and, and different things. Like maybe just share one of just one of your fondest memories over the last, you know, 10 years with yeah. one of your residents. Um, one of, one of not only my favorite residents, but my favorite people in the entire world that I've ever met is Daryl. He's since passed away. But Daryl was like, I mean, if he was still around, he would he would be on the board of Mission St. Louis. Like he was just like one of the most phenomenal people who had his own challenges, but he really was critical to the early stages of of Home First. He was a bridge bread baker and a home first um resident. And we we could just talk. Like it wasn't like them and us like it truly he just really like helped us become comfortable i think in the whole thing and i um <laughs> i remember dropping by the house one time randomly and him and another resident were in the hallway and they were just screaming at each other like just yelling at each other and i like I just like got up there and I got in the middle of them and I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, quit it. Like, you know, I was just like thinking I was getting in the middle of something. They both just like turned and looked at me and they were like, what? Like they were just talking about sports. It was like a cult. It was a total cultural difference between them and me. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you're raising your voice and not being, and you're not mad. Like they were just like having a heated discussion around basketball. Like it was so funny. Every year, one of my, one of my favorite things over the years too, was every Christmas we would like bring stuff for them to have Christmas trees in their apartments. And that was always like a really great, just like, and they wanted us there. It didn't like, I say that out loud and it sounds kind of like, eh, you know, cause we, we really, really tried hard and were deliberate to not remove any dignity from the whole process. <laughs> like, right. And gaining the independence back. You're, you're supporting in the best way you know how. Yes. And not having like, you know, not being a white savior or, you know, like if we had people donate stuff, most of the time we brought it. We didn't let people like come into their apartments and just like, you know, bring stuff for a forced thank you. Right. Like, because um, people have good intentions with stuff like that. And, and collections are like, we have to have that kind of stuff. That was what it really, really was helpful. But making sure that residents never felt like less than just because they needed toilet paper. Right. You know, most of them know, knew where I lived over the years. They've been to my house. Like I've driven them around. Um, we were talking about the focus thing earlier. Um, I, there is a guy downtown and he's still around that I tried to convince to come into our housing. It's like, I kept seeing this guy on my drive to work. And one day I just stopped and I got out of my car and I went over and talked to him. And then we met a few times over the next few weeks. I told him about the, you know, the program and ultimately the board said that yes we should do this 
And then he changed his mind. He, he decided that he didn't want to do it because the, the program that we have, like it required rent to be paid a very small amount. But if you didn't have employ, if you didn't like have the ability to be employed, you couldn't, um, you know, that wasn't the right fit. Is that another resource that has been a benefit with Mission St. Louis helping with employment then as part of then your requirement, you're, you're helping with kind of the, really the greatest needs you've got employment and housing. You said those were the top two. And as a collaboration, you, you can really reach both of those with awesome resources. Um, They have career coaches there, you know, again, like a lot of the stuff that our advocates would be scrappy about and would do they are trained to do it. Um, and their staff is just so amazing that it didn't, I think like I I mentioned before, like there was a level of skepticism, I think from our residents at the beginning, if it felt too, um, like clinical, I guess. And there is not an ounce of that feeling at Mission St. Louis. Like it's not, you just sort of like, they're just like among the people there. So thinking, so you had the eight units, so two buildings for each, you had eight, you said in the first 10 years, where are you at now and how many residents, if if you know that you've seen, you know, did they graduate out of the apartments? Maybe talk a little bit about kind of how many people you've been able to reach. Oh gosh. Over the years, I think it's, it's exceeded 25. Um, And sometimes they're successful stories and sometimes they're not. That's also been a lesson learned. I think I think we always knew that it would be like you, you can't expect to have a hundred percent success. But um, that was that was one of the funny things in one of our one of our meetings with Mission St. Louis early was like, yeah, you know, they asked us to talk about a success story, or one of the board members did, um, and one of the people that work there. And I just kind of like locked eyes and we were like, you know, it doesn't always feel like it. You think it would like success looks totally different for every, for every person. And sometimes success even is like, they stormed out of here. Like <laughs> They like, they, they moved on and it didn't really even end well, but they like they're employed and they have a, place to live like you know sort of like sometimes you're a bridge for people and they you know they no longer you know they can rebel against like I don't need this anymore you know um but it was like yeah success the like warm fuzzy feeling um I I I also remember some I went to this workshop once it was like something having to do with ministry or mission work and it was definitely like for for myself being like a layman of like you know how can you help and i remember somebody being like if it doesn't feel right then it probably isn't and that was bullshit <laughs> because i mean there were so many times where it was like oh god i am ready to quit right now but we didn't cuz like you knew that this is like this is the work that has to be done but God, it's hard. And like, my feelings are really hurt right now, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever reason, but like, it's not for us. 
Like you got to like get over yourself of like, yeah, you want, you want to do something you enjoy and that you believe in because that's, what's going to sustain you over time. But like, um, don't think that at the end of the day that it's like to please yourself. Right. I think that is probably the motivator, right? Is you kind of looked outside yourself of like, even if, oh, they want to leave, like you want to kind of be offended of like, we did all of this and, you know, maybe you're red, you know, they want to leave, but you're like, no, like a success can look different or um, it's, it's not about you. And I think, is that kind of what kept you going then? And, and just kept you motivated and, and the team, I guess, how, how did the team in the early stages, because those first few years were probably the hardest I'm, I imagine of, of all of them, like what kept you guys going? Did you get more people in the group? You know, just how did you get through that? Honestly, I think it, I think the relation, the ongoing relationships with the residents, it was just like constant proof that this has to keep, this has to happen. Like we, that would have been like, like failure wasn't an option, you know, like, because failure would mean all of, you know, we would just like abandon all of them. So, you know, I've like, I've had family members accuse me of stealing things. I've had like, some really like heartbreaking things have happened over the years, but I've also had people tell me that they love me and that, you know, like <laughs> Daryl sobbed when I told him that we were adopting our daughter. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, when you were talking about him earlier, I just picture him like, he's almost like if he was still around, he'd be like a grandpa to your kids. Like that's what I like when you immediately without even knowing that's immediately what I thought of was like grandpa Daryl. Right. Yeah. He's the pictures on the wall at our house. Like, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Like he's family. And I think that's again, the relationships and the connections, like that's what you have for a lifetime. Yeah. And that's, that's incredible. So obviously starting an organization is one thing (laughs) and that's intimidating for people. And, and it's been successful. And But what advice would you give people just looking to get involved? And it doesn't even have to be starting. But like, if like finding that like advice with finding their passion or like, like you literally were in a session and you're like, I know there's a need and I'm going to go find it. But what advice would you give people just just wanting to get out there in the community, especially St. Louis? There's there's so much to offer. What would you tell those people? Yeah, I think, I think obviously like figuring out the, a passion that might sustain you again, even though I said, it's not like do the work selflessly, but find something that will like keep you, um, interested that you care enough about. Um, and for me, it was just like, find the actual need, like try to figure out what everybody else isn't willing to do and do that. Because like, I mean, volunteer labor is super important in organizations. So I don't say any of that to underscore, like we absolutely join the groups to volunteer at places, especially if you're sort of in the search for like who you might want to connect yourself to, or just getting, you know, kind of getting the lay of the land in terms of, especially if you're new to St. Louis, 
like what organizations might I be interested in working with. But that was, that was what I tried to do was like figure out how I could be the most useful. And I mean, what I, what I did for two years was just serve breakfast. So it's not like it has to have like a special skill or, or honestly, you don't even have to be that outgoing to do things like that. It's just literally, they didn't have enough hands. I just showed up at the time that other people didn't want to. But you thought to ask, when is no one else coming? And I think that alone is what really flipped the script, it sounded like, is what is no one else doing? If anyone takes anything else away, it's what is no one else doing, which can be really hard to find. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, but then that was where that it also helped me like build real again back to relationships i we built this relationship with the lady who who was also homeless um who ran breakfast her name was gladys and she like i think for the first few months did not pay any mind to me like i was just another person coming in here to to help and she just and over time i kept showing up so she you know, pretty soon she was paying attention, like, okay, okay, you're not just going to go away here. Like you're committed. And she respected that. And then I started to bring my sister who had just kind of moved back from college. Um, and so she started coming with me every Thursday too. So Gladys and Aaron and I were always like on Thursday mornings, that was our date. And Aaron and I did a 5k downtown one time and Gladys was there. Like she was like, yeah, she was cheering us on. And you know, it's just like that. Like you can't, you can't just look away from that. You know, you got to keep moving forward. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Cause I know it's, it's personal for you, but it's also bringing awareness to something like home first and, and encouraging others. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out the show notes for more information. This is People Are Everything.